0: Section three of chapter twenty of the history of England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England by Thomas Babington Macaulay, Chapter Twenty, Section Three. The astonishment was great throughout his army. All the awe which he inspired could not prevent his old generals from grumbling and looking sullen his young nobles from venting their spleen sometimes in curses and sometimes in sarcasms and even his common soldiers from holding irreverent language round their watch-fires his enemies rejoiced with vindictive and insulting joy was it not strange, they asked, that this great prince should have gone in state to the theatre of war, and then in a week have gone in the same state back again? Was it necessary that all that vast retinue, princesses, dames of honour and tirewomen, equerries and gentlemen of the bedchamber, cooks, confectioners and musicians, long trains of wagons, droves of lead-horses and sumpter-mules, piles of plate, bales of tapestry, should travel four hundred miles, merely in order that the most Christian king might look at his soldiers and then return. The ignominious truth was too evident to be concealed." he had gone to the netherlands in the hope that he might again be able to snatch some military glory without any hazard to his person and had hastened back rather than expose himself to the chances of a pitched field this was not the first time that his most christian majesty had shown the same kind of prudence seventeen years before he had been opposed under the Wales of Bouchain to the same antagonist. William, with the ardour of a very young commander, had most imprudently offered battle. The opinion of the ablest generals was that, if Lewis had seized the opportunity, the war might have been ended in a day. The French army had eagerly asked to be led to the onset. The king had called his lieutenants around him, and had collected their opinions. Some courtly officers, to whom a hint of his wishes had been dexterously conveyed, had, blushing and stammering with shame, voted against fighting. It was to no purpose that bold and honest men, who prized his honour more than his life, had proved to him that, on all principles of the military art, he ought to accept the challenge rashly given by the enemy. His Majesty had gravely expressed his sorrow that he could not, consistently with his public duty, obey the impetuous movement of his blood, had turned his rein and had galloped back to his quarters. Was it not frightful to think what rivers of the best blood of France, of Spain, of Germany, and of England had flowed, and were destined still to flow, for the gratification of a man who wanted the vulgar courage which was found in the meanest of the hundreds of thousands whom he had sacrificed to his vainglorious ambition? Though the French army in the Netherlands had been weakened by the departure of the forces commanded by the Dauphin and the Boufflers, and though the allied army was daily strengthened by the arrival of fresh troops, Luxembourg still had a superiority of force, and that superiority he increased by an adroit stratagem. He marched towards Liège, and made as if he were about to form the siege of that city. William was uneasy, and the more uneasy because he knew that there was a French party among the inhabitants. He quitted his position near Louvain, advanced to Nether Hespen, and encamped there with the river Get in his rear. On his march he learned that hoy had opened its gates to the french the news increased his anxiety about liege and determined him to send thither a force sufficient to overawe malcontents within the city and to repel any attack from without this was exactly what luxembourg had expected and desired his feint had served its purpose He turned his back on the fortress which had hitherto seemed to be his object, and hastened toward the get. William, who had detached more than twenty thousand men, and who had but fifty thousand left in his camp, was alarmed by learning from his scouts on the 18th of July that the French general with near eighty thousand was close at hand. It was still in the king's power by a hasty retreat to put the narrow but deep waters of the get which had lately been swollen by rains between his army and the enemy but the site which he occupied was strong and it could easily be made still stronger he set all his troops to work ditches were dug mounds thrown up palisades fixed in the earth in a few hours the ground wore a new aspect and the king trusted that he should be able to repel the attack even of a force greatly outnumbering his own nor was it without much appearance of reason that he felt this confidence when the morning of the nineteenth of july broke the bravest men of lewis's army looked gravely and anxiously on the fortress which had suddenly sprung up to arrest their progress. The Allies were protected by a breastwork. Here and there along the entrenchments were formed little redoubts and half-moons. A hundred pieces of cannon were disposed along the ramparts. On the left flank, the village of Romsdorf rose close to the little stream of Landon from which the English have named the Disastrous Day. On the right was the village of Near Winden. Both villages were, after the fashion of the Low Countries, surrounded by moats and fences, and within these enclosures the little plots of ground occupied by different families were separated by mud walls, five feet in height and a foot in thickness all these barricades william had repaired and strengthened saint simon who after the battle surveyed the ground could hardly he tells us believe that defences so extensive and so formidable could have been created with such rapidity luxembourg however was determined to try whether even this position could be maintained against the superior numbers and the impetuous valor of his soldiers soon after sunrise the roar of cannon began to be heard William's batteries did much execution before the French artillery could be so placed as to return the fire it was eight o'clock before the close fighting began the village of near Winden was regarded by both commanders as the point on which everything Depended there an attack was made by the French left wing, commanded by Montchevroy, a veteran officer of high reputation, and by Beric, who, though young, was fast rising to a high place among the captains of his time. Berwick led the onset and forced his way into the village but was soon driven out again with a terrible carnage his followers fled or perished while he trying to rally them and cursing them for not doing their duty better was surrounded by foes he concealed his white cockade and hoped to be able by the help of his native tongue to pass himself off as an officer of the english army but his face was recognized by one of his mother's brothers, George Churchill, who held on that day the command of a brigade. A hurried embrace was exchanged between the kinsmen, and the uncle conducted the nephew to William, who, as long as everything seemed to be going well, remained in the rear. The meeting of the king and the captive united by such close domestic ties, and divided by such inexpiable injuries, was a strange sight. Both behaved as became them. William uncovered and addressed to his prisoner a few words of courteous greeting. Berwick's only reply was a solemn bow. The king put on his hat, the duke put on his hat, and the cousins parted for ever. By this time the French, who had been driven in confusion out of near Winden, had been reinforced by division under the command of the Duke of Bourbon, and came gallantly back to the attack. William, well aware of the importance of this post, gave orders that troops should move thither from other parts of his line, this second conflict was long and bloody the assailants again forced an entrance into the village they were again driven out with immense slaughter and showed little inclination to return to the charge meanwhile the battle had been raging all along the entrenchments of the allied army again and again luxembourg brought up his troops within pistol-shot of the breastwork, but he could bring them no nearer. Again and again they recoiled from the heavy fire which was poured on their front and on their flanks. It seemed that all was over. Luxembourg retired to a spot which was out of gunshot, and summoned a few of his chief officers to a consultation. They talked together during some time, and their animated gestures were observed with deep interest by all who were within sight. At length Luxembourg formed his decision. A last attempt must be made to carry near Winden, and the invincible household troops, the conquerors of Steinkirk, must lead the way. The household troops came on in a manner worthy of their long and terrible renown a third time near Winden was taken a third time william tried to retake it at the head of some english regiments he charged the guards of lewis with such fury that for the first time in the memory of the oldest warrior that far-famed band gave way it was only by the strenuous exertions of luxembourg of the duke of chartres and of the duke of bourbon that the broken ranks were rallied but by this time the center and left of the allied army had been so much thinned for the purpose of supporting the conflict at nearwinden that the entrenchments could no longer be defended on other points a little after 4 in the afternoon the whole line gave way all was havoc and confusion solmes had received a mortal wound and fell still alive into the hands of the enemy the english soldiers to whom his name was hateful accused him of having in his sufferings shown pusillanimity unworthy of a soldier The Duke of Ormond was struck down in the press, and in another moment he would have been a corpse, had not a rich diamond on his finger caught the eye of one of the French guards, who justly thought that the owner of such a jewel would be a valuable prisoner. The Duke's life was saved, and he was speedily exchanged for Berwick. Ruvigny animated by the true refugee hatred of the country which had cast him out, was taken, fighting in the thickest of the battle. Those into whose hands he had fallen knew him well, and knew that if they carried him into their camp, his head would pay for that treason to which persecution had driven him. With admirable generosity they pretended not to recognize him, and suffered him to make his escape in the tumult it was only on such occasions as this that the whole greatness of william's character appeared amidst the rout and uproar while arms and standards were flung away while multitudes of fugitives were choking up the bridges and fords of the get or perishing in its waters the king having directed talmash to superintend the retreat put himself at the head of a few brave regiments and by desperate efforts arrested the progress of the enemy his risk was greater than that which others ran for he could not be persuaded either to encumber his feeble frame with a cuirass or to hide the ensigns of the garter he thought His star a good rallying point for his own troops and only smiled when he was told that it was a good mark for the enemy many fell on his right hand and on his left two led horses which in the field always closely followed his persons were struck dead by cannon shots one musket ball passed through the curls of his wig another through his coat A third bruised his side and tore his blue riband to tatters. Many years later, old pensioners who crept about the arcades and alleys of Chelsea Hospital used to relate how he charged at the head of Galway's horse, how he dismounted four times to put heart into the infantry, how he rallied one corps which seemed to be shrinking, that is not the way to fight gentlemen you must stand up close to them thus gentlemen thus you might have seen him an eyewitness wrote only four days after the battle with his sword in his hand throwing himself upon the enemy it is certain that one time among the rest he was seen at the head of two english regiments and that he fought seven with these two in sight of the whole army driving them before him above a quarter of an hour thanks be to god that preserved him the enemy pressed on him so close that it was with difficulty that he at length made his way over the get a small body of brave men who shared his peril to the last could hardly keep off the pursuers as he crossed the bridge never perhaps was the change which the progress of civilization has produced in the art of war more strikingly illustrated than on that day ajax beating down on the trojan leader with a rock which two ordinary men could scarcely lift horatius defending the bridge against an army richard the lion-hearted Spurring along the whole Saracen line, without finding an enemy to stand his assault. Robert Bruce crushing with one blow the helmet and head of Sir Henry Bohun, in sight of the whole array of England and Scotland. Such are the heroes of a dark age. In such an age bodily vigour is the most indispensable qualification of a warrior, At Landon, two poor sickly beings, who, in a rude state of society, would have been regarded as too puny to bear any part in combats, were the souls of two great armies. In some heathen countries they would have been exposed while infants. In Christendom they would, six hundred years earlier, have been sent to some quiet cloister but their lot had fallen on a time when men had discovered that the strength of the muscles is far inferior in value to the strength of the mind it is probable that among the hundred and twenty thousand soldiers who were marshalled round near Winden, under all the standards of western europe the two feeblest in body were the hunchbacked dwarf who urged forward the fiery onset of France and the asthmatic skeleton who covered the slow retreat of England the French were victorious but they had bought their victory dear more than 10,000 of the best troops of Lewis had fallen near Winden was a spectacle at which the oldest soldiers stood aghast the streets were a-piled breast high with corpses among the slain were some great lords and some renowned warriors mont was there and the mutilated trunk of the duke of uzès first in order of precedence among the whole aristocracy of france thence too sarsfield was born desperately wounded to a pallet from which he never rose again The court of Saint-Germain had conferred on him the empty title of Earl of Lucan, but history knows him by the name which is still dear to the most unfortunate of nations. The region, renowned in history as the battlefield during many ages of the most warlike nations of Europe, has seen only two more terrible days, the day of Malplaquet and the day of Waterloo. During many months, the ground was strewn with skulls and bones of men and horses, and with fragments of hats and shoes, saddles and holsters. The next summer the soil, fertilized by twenty thousand corpses, broke forth into millions of poppies. The traveller who, on the road from St. Tron to Turlemont, saw that vast sheet of rich scarlet spreading from landen to near winden could hardly keep fancying that the figurative prediction of the hebrew prophet was literally accomplished that the earth was disclosing her blood and refusing to cover the slain there was no pursuit though the sun was still high in the heaven when william crossed the Get. The conquerors were so much exhausted by marching and fighting that they could scarcely move, and the horses were in even worse condition than the men. Their general thought it necessary to allow some time for rest and refreshment. The French nobles unloaded their sumpter-horses, supped gaily, and pledged one another in champagne amidst the heaps of dead. And When night fell whole brigades gladly lay down to sleep in their ranks on the field of battle the inactivity of Luxembourg did not escape censure none could deny that he had in the action shown great skill and energy but some complained that he wanted patience and perseverance others whispered that he had no wish to bring to an end a war which made him necessary to a court where he had never, in time of peace, found favor or even justice. Lewis, who on this occasion was perhaps not altogether free from some emotions of jealousy, contrived, it was reported, to mingle with the praise which he bestowed on his lieutenant, blame, which though delicately expressed was perfectly intelligible in the battle he said the duke of luxembourg behaved like condy and since the battle the prince of orange has behaved like Turenne. in truth the ability and vigor with which william repaired his terrible defeat might well excite admiration in one respect said the admiral coligny i may claim superiority over alexander over scipio over caesar they won great battles it is true i have lost four great battles and yet i show to the enemy a more formidable front than ever the blood of coligny ran in the veins of william and with the blood had descended the unconquerable spirit which could derive from failure as much glory as happier commanders owed to success. The defeat of Landon was indeed a heavy blow. The king had a few days of cruel anxiety. If Luxembourg pushed on, all was lost. Louvain must fall, and Mechlin, Neuport, and Ostend. The Batavian frontier would be in danger. The cry for peace throughout Holland might be such as neither States-General nor Stadtholder would be able to resist. But there was delay, and a very short delay was enough for William. From the field of battle he made his way through the multitude of fugitives to the neighborhood of Louvain, and there began to collect his scattered forces his character is not lowered by the anxiety which at that moment the most disastrous of his life he felt for the two persons who were dearest to him as soon as he was safe he wrote to assure his wife of his safety in the confusion of the flight he had lost sight of portland who was then in very feeble health and had therefore run more than the ordinary risks of war. A short note, which the king sent to his friend a few hours later, is still extant. Though I hope to see you this evening, I cannot help writing to tell you how rejoiced I am that you got off so well. God grant that your health may soon be quite restored. These are great trials which he has been pleased to send me in quick succession, I must try to submit to his pleasure without murmuring, and to deserve his anger less. End of section 3